Um, I want to start out by saying good morning to everybody. I want to thank you all for coming out to hear the word this morning. I know that there are a lot of things that you can be doing, but instead you came out and you chose to hear the word of God. I know that if you listen and you study the word, I know that you will benefit from it because you will gain wisdom from it. All right. And it's extremely important that we study the word of God. I know that God will appreciate it because God loves it when his people studies his word. He loves it when people takes an interest in his word. All right. Because the more we study the word, the more knowledge we gain of Christ Jesus and the stronger we become in our Christian faith. All right. And I know I certainly appreciate it because I'm the one who's bringing, um, who's speaking, who's bringing the message, who's speaking. Um, with that being said, I want to talk to you today about something. All right. A term that isn't used that much. All right. But it is what we are as Christians. I want to talk about the life of a Christian soldier. All right. How to live the life of a Christian soldier, how a Christian soldier lives. All right. See, once we receive salvation, once we receive Christ's salvation, all right, we are not only just born again, we are not only just new creatures in Christ, we are not only just new believers, we are not only just Christians. All right. We are now commissioned as soldiers. All right. We are now men of God, women of God. All right. We are ambassadors of Christ. That means we represent Christ Jesus. We represent God in everything we do. All right. We are Christian soldiers. We are soldiers. You know, when people think of the word ambassadors, they they automatically think of diplomats politicians all right P 
people who wear suits. All right. But you have to realize that people who fight in the military on the front lines, they are ambassadors for this country. They go out, they put their lives on the line. Whenever they go out and fight. And who are they fighting for? When they go out into these foreign countries and they are fighting to the death. Who are they representing? They are representing the United States of America. All right. They are ambassadors of this country. All right. We are ambassadors for Christ. All right. We represent God in everything we do. When we are within this country, when we are at home or when we are abroad, in another country, no matter what, we always take Christ with us. We are Christian soldiers. All right. We are Christian soldiers. What exactly is a Christian soldier? All right. It's not when, when you see a Christian soldier, you're not going to see a Christian soldier wearing camouflage. You're not going to see a Christian soldier wearing combat boots. All right. You're not going to see a Christian soldier wearing a helmet with night vision goggles. You are not going to see a Christian soldier holding an AR-15 rifle or an M-16 rifle, all right? Why? Because as Christian soldiers, that is not how we fight. That is not how we fight. See, in a way... We are similar to the type of soldiers that you see on TV. We, in a way, we are similar to the type of soldiers who are out there fighting wars. However, in a way, we are so much different. We are nothing like those soldiers. All right. As Christian soldiers, all right, I want to make this clear. As Christian soldiers, we fight. All right. We fight in real battles. Some battles we lose, 
Some battles we win. All right. There is an enemy that we are constantly fighting. All right. People do die during this war and during battles. People do physically die. Okay. Christian soldiers. Okay. We do have tactics in how to fight this war. All right. We do have our own tactics in how to win this war. The enemy has its own tactics on how to fight this war. All right. There are, like in militaries, they have their elite soldiers, their special forces. All right. Just like in the military, as Christian soldiers, we have our special forces, whether they be pastors, all right, whether they be um, missionaries, all right, going out to all these third world countries, okay, We as Christian soldiers have our share of special forces. Just like the military, all right, the physical military, although they are a part of this country also, all right, they are not the same as regular civilians. They are held to a higher standard, a much higher standard. Us as Christian soldiers, we are human, we are men, all right? We make mistakes. We sin, okay? That's the world we live in. We mess up sometimes, all right? However, we are separated from those who are not Christians. And because we are separated from those who are not Christians, we are held to a higher standard. Why? Because we know Christ Jesus. We know what he is about. We have more access to the word of God. We have more access um, to the knowledge of Jesus. All right. There is no excuse why we should not pray to God. There is no excuse why we should not study our Bible. Okay. There is no excuse why we should not work as though we are working for the Lord. 
because we have the means, whereas a lot of other people who are not Christians do not have those means and those luxuries. And those people who are not Christians, they are lost. So it is not expected of them to do certain things and to know certain things that we as Christian soldiers know. And because of that, we as Christian soldiers, we are held to a certain standard, a much higher standard. All right. All right. Now, where do we differ? Where do we differ? Well, as I said, as you see a Christian soldier, As you see a Christian, you're not going to see him go outside and in camouflage um, outfits and army fatigues. All right. Um, with with um, combat boots. And you're not going to see us, you know. Holding. A rifle, you're not going to see us throw grenades. All right. You're not going to see us launch missiles. We don't have a dress uniform. Okay. That's not how we fight. All right. You are not going to see our war advertised all over social media. All over the world as though it were, you know, a regular war. All right. Um, let's say. Um, you know, let's say there's there's a war going on in the Middle East or China or 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 um, Russia or um, Mexico or Chechnya. All right. Or someplace like that or Myanmar. All right. And you see. Jets doing raids and bombing missions and just bombing buildings, all right? You're not going to see that all right as Christian soldiers when you look at Christian soldiers. It's not the kind of war that we fight. The kind of war that we fight is a spiritual war. The kind of war that we fight is a spiritual war. Okay. 
Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. All right. See, this is where we differ from the military that you see um, in the commercials, in the advertisements, on TV, um, that you hear about in the news. This is where we differ. All right. See, you're not going to see, okay, one war, we have a certain type of enemy. The next war, we have a new type of enemy. The other war, we have a new type of enemy. A new war comes along. We have a new type of enemy. That's not how it works. In this war that we as Christian soldiers fight, there is only one enemy. There will always only be one enemy. This enemy uses certain tactics that is true. All right. Another good another good thing that I could say about this about this Christian war. That's that's the only way I know how to describe it right now. The only way don't or one of the good things that I can say about this Christian war is that unlike any other war, we know what the outcome will be, all right? If a country could look, I don't know, let's say 10 years down the line and they say, oh, we're gonna lose this war. Is that country gonna say, oh, well, we'll go to war anyway. We don't like these people, so we'll go to war. We know that we're going to lose at the end of the war, but we don't like these people. And just because we don't like these people, we're going to go to war. No, they're not going to go to war if they know that they're going to lose. They never know the outcome. Many countries have gone to war. And many countries who thought that they were going to win the war end up losing the war. One thing that I can honestly say about this war that we as Christian soldiers continue to fight on a daily basis. One thing that I can honestly say is that it is a fact that we will win this war. It is a fact. We know that. We know that, all right? We do not know when this war will be over. This war will not be over until, one, we, we end up dying somehow and we go to be with the Lord or Christ returns for his people. And Christ 
finally defeats Satan once and for all. All right. That is when we will win this war. There's no timetable for that. No one knows what the schedule will be when this war will be over. All right. But the great thing is, is that although, yes, we may lose our share of battles, we may win our share of battles. We know that we will win this war. All right. The war we fight is a spiritual war. All right. We fight with prayer. We combat the enemy with scripture. All right. When Jesus was in the desert for 40 days fasting. All right. And the devil, the devil himself. He didn't send any demons this time. He didn't put Christ in a scary situation or anything like that. No, the devil himself had came to Jesus while Christ was hungry, famished, probably physically weak in the desert. All right. And he tried to trick Christ. And I'm sure that the devil probably spoke a really good game, too. The devil has years of of experience in tricking people. All right. But Christ had combated the devil. Christ had defeated the devil at that moment. How? By coming against him with scriptures from the word of God. Every time the devil will come at Christ Jesus trying to trick him, Christ Jesus would retaliate with scriptures. Finally, making the devil leave, making the devil flee. We as Christian soldiers, we have means to the word of God. We fight this, we fight this battle with prayer. And with the word of God. Ephesians chapter six, starting at verses 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What is this whole armor of God? What armor? If it's a spiritual war, what armor? 
if it's a spiritual war, how how is some kind of body armor? How is some kind of helmet? How is that going to protect us from a spiritual war? Well, it's not just any regular armor. It's the armor of God that we may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. It's not regular body armor. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't go out there combating an enemy, going up against the enemy armed with AK-47s and we have M16 rifles, AR-15 rifles. All right. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't go out there with armored cars. With with tanks. We don't go out there with Kevlar vests. All right. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, against spiritual, against spiritual Again, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That's why we need the whole armor of God. Doesn't just say take up the whole armor. Says take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In other words, you put on the whole armor of God and you will be equipped with all the necessities, with all the necessary items to fight the devil. If you put on the whole armor of God, when the devil comes at you, you will have everything you need. You will have all that you need to fight the devil. And when all is said and done, you will win. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand there having girded your waist with truth. 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Basically, it's telling you right now how to fight the devil. As we as Christians live in this fallen world, this wicked world, this corrupt world, this world that is against us, it is, it is, in this world that is against us, that is against Christianity, that is against the gospel, that is against Christ Jesus. In this world full of antichrists, all right? Ephesians chapter 6, all right? Verses 14 through 18 tells us how to live in this world. As Christian soldiers, it tells us how to push forward, how to move forward, how to live in this Christian world. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. All right. So you see. All these where it says having girded your waist with truth. All right. That that is where I store my ammunition. All right. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness. That is my Kevlar vest. The gospel of peace. Those are my knee pads. Faith. All right. That's my armor. All right. That's my that's my bulletproof armor. My salvation. My salvation. That's my helmet. 
That is my helmet. The word of God. The word of God. My Bible. My King James Bible. I have a King James and a New King James Bible. I also have an ESV, English Standard Version Bible. That is my, that is my AR-15 rifle. That is my weapon. All right. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. As Christian soldiers, that is how we are to live our lives, with righteousness, with the gospel of peace, with feet, I mean, excuse me, with faith, with faith, with our salvation, keeping Christ Jesus close to our heart, with the word of God, with prayer, praying always. Praying in the spirit and being watchful to this end with all perseverance. All right. Turn with me to. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three. All right. Second Timothy chapter two, verses three. You therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. All right. You can't really be more clear than that. All right. You know you're doing something right when you are being persecuted for your Christian faith. When someone says, how can you be a Christian? How can you actually think that Jesus is real? How can you think that there is a God? How can you read a Bible book and live your life by a Bible book? If somebody says that to you, if somebody is persecuting you like that, if somebody is coming against you for your Christian faith, all right, if somebody is constantly cursing you out just because you are a Christian, if somebody 
believe if somebody says, oh, we need to love everybody. We need to love the world. We need to love our neighbors. But then they come across a Christian and they get all upset with somebody for being a Christian. Then you know that you are doing something right. A real Christian soldier, a good Christian soldier, they're going to go through hardships. They are. But as I said, Ephesians in Ephesians chapter six tells us how to endure those hardships, how to live our lives. All right. Now, one thing that I truly believe in is I don't believe in tricking people into becoming Christians. I don't believe in forcing people to become Christians. All right. I'm not going to say that, you know. Oh, you have to become a Christian. How can you not become a Christian? And all right. Getting on somebody and being mad at somebody and hating somebody just because they're not a Christian. I don't believe in that. All right. If 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 you force somebody to become a Christian, they're never going to grow in their faith. In fact, nine times out of ten, they're probably going to end up turning from Christianity and never wanting to go back. All right. I don't believe in tricking people into becoming a Christian. I believe that before a person becomes a Christian. They should know what being a Christian is about. They should know that they're going to have to give up a lot. All right. In other words, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to spread the gospel and if I'm going to try and convert somebody to Christianity, all right, of course, I'm going to spread the gospel. Of course, I'm going to talk um, talk um, about I'm going to speak the truth about Jesus Christ. All right. And everything that he has done. All right. But I'm going to speak the whole truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to make it seem like Christianity is a life of bliss. I'm going to say, hey, all of this stuff is true. You will go to heaven. That's true. There's no doubt about that. Christianity is the best life that anyone can possibly live. Christ Jesus, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be there for you, no matter what. He will always bring you through whatever trials that you are going through. All right? 
Still, I will also let that person know that if you are going to choose this life of Christianity, you are going to have to give up a lot. All right. Christ Jesus had told his disciples, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. All right. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then they just, you know, that was it. Christ Jesus, he also, he also told his disciples that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26 is what I'm reading. What does verse 24 mean? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All right. Well, to start out, one of the things Jesus is basically saying is, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to follow me all the way. All right. There's not going to be any half stepping. There have been accounts in the New Testament where people, they end up turning away from Christ or people, they, they try to become one of Christ's disciples. All right. But then they end up thinking that it's too hard. And they go back to how they used to live. All right. But I'll talk about that another time. Christ Jesus is saying, look. If you desire to come after me, if you desire to come after me. All right. Deny yourself. And take up your cross and follow me. Everything that you have right now. All right. Your house. Your family. Deny yourself of all of that. Now, is Christ Jesus saying that, hey, you know, you're never allowed to see your kids again. You're never allowed to see your family again. All right. Um, you're 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 never allowed to do this again. Is that what Christ is saying? No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. What Christ is saying that, look, if you're going to follow me, all of this stuff that you used to put first in your life. All right. You're going to have to say, look, all of that stuff. That's not as important to me anymore as Christ is. All right. 
my wife, whom I love very much, my son, who I love very much, my daughter, who I love very much, my house that I have worked very hard for, who I always thought that those were my top four priorities, the job that I have, all those who I, that I thought were my top five priorities, rather I should say, all of those are like nothing. Compared to Christ Jesus, now that I'm following him. That's what it means to deny yourself. Christ Jesus isn't saying you can never see your family again. However, what Christ Jesus is saying that now, Christ Jesus is what's first. Christ Jesus is what is most important in your life. Following Christ Jesus. You are a disciple of Christ Jesus now. All right. He's not saying that, hey, you better become a Christian. Yes, Christ Jesus, he's explaining the benefits of becoming a Christian. What's going to happen if you don't become a Christian? All right. What will happen if you do become a Christian? Yes, Christ Jesus is explaining all of that. However, all right, as the saying goes, you know, it's not like he's putting a gun to anybody's head. I think that's a bad saying. I really do. But that's the only one that I could think of. All right. Um, in fact, I'm not going to use that saying. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why I chose that. It just came to me. All right. Forgive me. All right. Um, it's not like Christ is forcing them to become Christians. All right. He's giving them a chance to back out now. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What is that? What do you mean? Take up his cross. Well, you think it was easy for Jesus to die on the cross? You think it was easy for Christ Jesus to pull that cross up that hill? You think it was painless for Jesus to have that, that raw wooden cross on his shoulder carrying that? After being whipped, after having open wounds, I'm sure he had splinters going in his back. You think it was easy for him to carry that heavy cross uphill? Only to know that, hey, this cross that I'm carrying, this is the thing that I'm going to die on. In a few seconds, you think that's easy? No. It was painful. It was hard mentally and physically. Take up his cross and follow me. I'm going to die for all of your sins on a cross. All right. So if you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have to be willing 
to die for me. All right. There's no games. With Christ Jesus, there's no clauses, there's no loopholes. All right. There's no tricks. All right. Somebody says, hey, Christ Jesus, I want to follow you. I really want to follow you. Christ Jesus is going to look at him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But it doesn't stop there. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. For whoever desires to live for himself, to be of this world, for whoever desires to, to care about money, to care about riches, to care about the, the worldly lifestyles. To all the people that care about themselves. They will lose their own life. In other words, when they die, they will not receive eternal life. In heaven. They will lose their life. And when they die. When they die, what he means by they will lose their life, it doesn't mean that automatically they'll get a heart attack and they'll fall down dead. All right. What he means is when they die, they will not get to enjoy the benefits of heaven. They will die and they will suffer in eternity in hell. They will lose their life. They will lose their life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But whoever denies themselves for Christ's sake, for the sake of Christ, to follow Christ, whoever is willing to give up their life for Christ Jesus, metaphorically or physically in this case, or sometimes both, all right, whoever is willing. In fact, no, you have to be willing to give up your life metaphorically and physically for Christ Jesus. If you are willing to do that, then you will find life when you die. You will find life. You will find eternal life in heaven. And you will reap those eternal benefits. In heaven. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What's the point 
and gaining all of this stuff in this world, which by the way, no matter how nice it looks, this stuff does never this stuff never makes a person truly happy. That's why you see all of these rich people with so much stuff because they get something and they realize that hey, this isn't filling the void. I have to have one more thing. They have that one more thing. Hey, this isn't filling the void in my life. I have to have that one more thing. They have that one more thing. Hey, this isn't filling the void in my life. I have to have that one more thing and yada, 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 woo, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. And you have to understand that the time that we spend on this earth is like a second compared to the eternal life that we will have after we die, whether it be heaven or hell. All right. All right. 120 years is like nothing. It's, it's like it's like one second compared to the eternity that we will spend after we die in heaven or in hell. So for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does he gain from that? If he gets everything in the world, which is only so big, by the way, if he gains everything in this world for just a short amount of time. And when he dies, his soul ends up in hell. What's the point? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? A lot of people take that verse out of context. All right. I'm explaining what this verse means. All right. Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? They live a life of lavishness. They live a life of self-indulgence. All right. And in the end, their soul ends up going to hell. Before I before I finish. All right, I'm almost done. But before I finish, I want to tell you just the other day, in fact, that I happened to be reading about this one painting by Van Gogh. It's based on a true story. All right, I'm going to make this as short as I can. Um, it's called The Garden of Moncu. All right. Now, what The Garden of Moncu is, the story of that is that this one, this one guy, all right, and his, all his friends, Okay, the people that he rolled with, real high class people, upper class people. All right. Now, these people love the lavish lifestyle. Okay, I think this was like in the 1700s, by the way. They love the lavish lifestyle. One of the things that they hated the most or that they were afraid of the most. Was boredom. So what they tried to do, what, what they went out and said to accomplish, all right, was they 
built this one garden. They had, they had their own garden designed for them. Hideous garden, ugly garden. Everything was all out of place, all right? Hideous. But they had it designed for them. They say it was a garden. It was more like an amusement park, all right? So that they can enjoy themselves when they get bored. These people, they only cared about themselves. Always never caring about anything in the world. All right. They never cared about anyone in the world. Now, these people were so obsessed with having fun. They were so obsessed with living the lavish lifestyle that they didn't even realize all right, that there was a revolution in Paris that was about to happen. They treated people so badly and they didn't even realize and they, and they were just so obsessed and self-indulgent, all right, with the things of this world that they didn't even realize that a revolution and that an uprising was about to happen very soon. This uprising happened all of these people who had created um, this garden, and who and who had and and who had used to live these lavish lifestyles, they were all captured, and they all eventually faced the guillotine. All right, that's the story of the painting of the garden at Monte. At Mont-Q. And the reason why I'm saying this. Alright. Is because. That's what happens. Is that's the definition of. Verse 26. Matthew 16 verse 26. For what profit is it. To a man if he gains the whole world. And loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Now, I, I got off topic for a second and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. I got distracted for a second. I'm sorry. Um, I'm talking about the life of a Christian soldier. We are held to a certain standard. We are held to a certain standard. All right. And we must meet these standards. We decided to follow Christ Jesus. And because we decided to become his disciples, because we decided to deny ourselves, and because we decided to take up our crosses and follow him, we are held to a certain standard. It is not easy. However, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, instructs us in how to live and how to make it in this world as Christian soldiers. I'm going to close right there with a prayer. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, O Lord God. Thank you, O Lord God, for giving us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in the reading of your word, O Lord. Help us, O Lord God, to just Continue to grow in our Christian faith, O Lord. Lord, help us to apply your word to our everyday lives, O Lord. 
Give us the passion and the desire and the want to and the will to continue to study your word, O Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.